Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the word. Good morning, church. It's sunny out again. I love it. I think summer's actually going to be here. Now, I've been watching you guys for the last couple of weeks, and I'm pretty confident that you can handle what I have for you today. Now, just to, to get ready, buckle up, because we are going to cover 13 chapters of Genesis. I know, you're like, what? You're crazy. Yes, but I am crazy because the Lord has given me this picture here. The only way you're going to understand and fully kind of capture what went down in Joseph's life is you've got to stay with the whole narrative. I, I, I initially was trying to kind of narrow in on one area and look at this aspect and try to understand, okay, this is what God did in Joseph's life. But what happens is, is when you just concentrate on that, you lose so much. Because in these 13 chapters, we look at Joseph's whole life. And we see what God did, and we see how he moved through time and moved through unbelievable circumstances. And that's the thing that I, I don't want us to miss this morning. Joseph encountered crazy stuff. Stuff that people were intentionally pointing toward him and trying to do toward him. Yet, God was able to use all of that. So if you've ever struggled with that whole idea of, you know, how does God use these crazy circumstances of life and point people and move things into his sovereign will, this story, it's not a story, this event of Joseph's life is going to help you understand that. So... I am confident you guys are going to be able to follow me. I'm going to be really stuck to my notes today. I apologize. So I'm not going to be moving around as much as I normally do because if I stand here, we'll be here until noon and only for the first hour. So that won't work because I know you guys have plans. So I'm going to be tied a little bit more to my notes. Um, I've tried to be a little bit creative. I found a poem that gives us the first few chapters. So that'll kind of make it a little bit of excitement because it's not going to be real exciting after that because it's going to be a lot of data. But don't get lost in the details here. I'm going, to, I'm going to try to do my best to be very sensitive to the Lord as we walk through this. Because I don't want you to miss one element. Because we see how God is so far above us and so far beyond us through this life account of Joseph. So don't miss any of it. So let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning thankful Thankful for your sovereignty, Lord. Thankful for the, the opportunity to know that we can trust you. That we can put our, our lives in your hands and you are good and you are just and you are righteous and you are holy. And you have our best interest at heart. Always. And Lord, I am so thankful that you give us an, an insight of how you can use circumstances in our life that are hurtful, that are wounding, that are overwhelming and yet you can use them for your glory, for your honor, for our good, and to accomplish things far beyond any one of us could do in and of ourselves. Lord, we look forward to looking at all that you have for each person today in this account of Joseph's life. We're trusting this time to you. We're trusting all that comes out of it to you. And it's in Christ's name we do pray. So Joseph, the surprise, witness to the sovereign work of God. Now, like I said, page 42 to 60. We're not going to read it all. We're just going to do some highlights, and I'm going to do some kind of conglomeration of what happened. Because some of it, uh, I think it's 
uh, chapter like 42 to 50. It's just a lot of detail. And I'm just going to pick out some high points and we're going to like race through those chapters. So be confident that we'll work. All right, so some history. Dr. Seuss has just entered the room. All right, Jacob had a lot of sons, but Joseph was his favorite one. Look, he said, here's something new. I made a special coat for you. This made Joseph very glad, but made his brothers very mad. Joseph had a dream one night. He dreamed the sun was shining bright. And as he was gathering some wheat for his family to eat, all of a sudden his sheaf of wheat stood straight and tall in the summer heat. His brother's wheat came all around and started bowing to the ground. Then Joseph dreamed another dream. He wondered what the dream could mean. He saw the sun and moon and night. He saw 11 stars so bright. They came and made a ring of light and bowed before him in the night. Joseph's brothers hated his dreams, so all of them began to scheme. They grabbed him in the field one day and took his precious coat away. Then they sold him to some men. They thought they'd never see him again. Down to Egypt went the men, and Joseph had to go with them. They sold him to King Pharaoh's guard to be a slave and work so hard. And one thing I want you to capture there that this doesn't really get, all right, he's about 17 at this time. The brother's initial thought was to kill him. They're like, you know, we're tired of him. We're, he is just dad's favorite. He's the tattletale of the family. Let's just get rid of him and be done. So that was the initial plan. But then they, one of the brothers and a lot of conflict went down and they saw, hey, there's some traveling Ishmaelites. Let's just sell him. So they sold him for 20 shekels or eight ounces of silver to the Ishmaelites, remember them from last week and where they came from, and so then down to Egypt he went. So all right, we just covered a few chapters, so we're moving fast. So first, now we're bringing it up to what's starting to happen in Joseph's life. He's been separated from his family, and God is starting to do some incredible things in his life that he wants us to not miss. So first is Joseph's reputation. So now we're up to um, chapter 39, starting in verse 1. So if you want to follow along, you can. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. And see, I think we stumble there sometimes. Like, well, how could the Lord be with him? Look what's going on in his life. There, these, these events are crazy. But see, that's where we have to roll back and go, okay, wait a minute. All right, God is with us. If we're his children, he has promised to be with us. So we can't miss it. So as he's going through this, God is with him. And he was a successful man. And I think that's very indicative of those who God is with. They're usually a success in their life. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. We're going to be talking about that later, so don't forget that. And the Lord made all that he had to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had and put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So here we have something where God's working in Joseph's life in such a way that... He's blessing even the unsaved people around him because God wants to be visible. He wants us to show his prosperous life living through us to other people to show that, look, when we walk in obedience, God works in a way that no one else can understand. 
And so Joseph's living this way and he's, he's encountering some unbelievable stuff and his reputation is obvious from the gate. They're seeing who he is. They're seeing how he works. They're seeing that God is with him. And you have to think, okay, how? How is that happening? We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Now, some things that I just don't, I want you to capture before we move on here. The Lord was with him. Joseph was successful and prosperous. Joseph found favor from others. Joseph served others. God's blessing was on all that he had. Is that true of your reputation today? Can people look into your life or look at your life and see that these things are evident? Or is it a mystery? Is it something that's not even visible? Because God wants to show up in our lives in a way that other people see him and experience him. And we've got to allow him to do that. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Reputation is a key thing, and it's a fragile thing, too, because one misstep sometimes can totally trash a reputation. And then it can take years and years to rebuild. And so as you're working on your reputation, and I mean, as a believer, if you're a Christ follower today, we should be working on our reputation. We should be looking at how does the world perceive us? Because boy, one thing right now, Christians, how are they perceived? Not great. We can change that perception with each decision we make with allowing God to be seen in our life, with doing things that are going to impact the people around us. It starts with our family. It starts with the choices and decisions we make. And then that overflows into our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our friends. We can change the world's perception of what Christians are. But we're going to have to make sure that we're working on ourselves. Now, our lives should reflect God's presence. There should be a clear evidence that we are his children. That's hard sometimes. And, and I'll admit it, it's hard sometimes. Because the world wants us to conform to its will, to its image, to its idea of what good living is, what right living is. But the thing is, is if we can do what Joseph did and, and take the fact that God is with me and live like he's really with me, I mean, think about it. Think about walking through your day, a typical day for you, with God at your side. Because it sort of is already that way. But we don't see it that way oftentimes. Because we get so consumed with what's going on. We get so consumed with the calendar. So consumed with the clock. It's, and we're always racing. And it's a great distraction. But God is here. And if you're a Christ follower, he's with you. And he wants to do things in and through your life. So, and that will be providing an excellent reputation. Now, some in-between things happen here. He's in, the, in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife likes Joseph. Because scripture says that he's a handsome man. And he's in form and function and how he is. So obviously, he was something that women desired. And Potiphar's wife was one of those women. And she persistently, persistently, persistently pursued him. And wanted him to come together with her. And he rejected her constantly. And this is how Joseph's character showed up. Uh, 39 verse 19. 
So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave favor in his sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison, whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Joseph's character is maintained in prison, which is like mind-blowing. He gets put in there and all of a sudden everything's in his hands again. I mean, that's just like, it doesn't even make sense. But God's presence changes things. And when we allow God to work in our life, in our circumstances, it changes things. Now, some interesting things to pick up here. This is the second time that clothing has become a problem for Joseph. It was the coat before, and now it was his cloak this time. And so it's one of those things where it trips him up. And I think there are things in our life that can trip us up because they make us distinct, because they make us stand out. And we can't let them. But we have to be cautious. Four times this chapter affirms that the Lord was with Joseph. I think God wants us to really capture that. Think about it. Do you honestly feel God's presence in your life on a daily basis? Are you walking with him? Are you driving with him? Are you interacting with him during the day so that there's a reality of who he is and how he works that impacts your character, that builds up your reputation? God wants to accomplish that in our life. He wants us to be different. He wants us to be profoundly different. And we see this in Joseph's life to the point where he's, he's put into prison, but his character is so good that he's put over the prison. I mean, to me, that just it blows my mind to see stuff like that happen. Only God can do something like that. Only God can do something like that. Now, when it comes to character, Romans 5, 3 through 5 tells us something else. It says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. What? <laughs> we rejoice in our suffering? Why would we want to do that? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's at work vibrantly in our life to change us into men and women who can change the world. Don't you want to do that? God gives us the ability to change the world. And sometimes I think we, we relegate that to it was just the apostles who were supposed to do that. It was just the, the people that are in the Bible that are supposed to do that. It's not us. It can't be us. It has to be us. Who else is it going to be? We have that power within us. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God himself residing in us that wants to change us and move us and make this world a different place. We've got to remember he's with us and take him with us and not leave him behind and not forget what he's doing in our life. We can't. Despite repeated temptation and false accusations, we must remember 
We are God's children, and we must live accordingly. And I know that sounds confining, but it's not. Because in Christ, we are free to do so much. And I think our own thoughts and our own perceptions are the very things that confine us and hold us back and prevent us from living the life that God's called us to live. So Joseph's reputation is stellar. His character is maintained, even in prison. Now we look at Joseph's patience. Chapter 40, verse 1. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker, and the candlestick maker, no, no. Uh, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them so they were in custody for a while. Now, some things happen. They come in, and we don't know, there's not a little time frame here, but they come in, and after a while, they both have dreams. And, you know, they're both very specific to them, and they kind of... Um, are wondering what's going on here, and Joseph comes to them and he says, you know, I, I can help you with this. And so Joseph tells them what these dreams mean. They both come true for both people. One was not great. Uh, it, was a, it was indicative of his death. The other one was, you're going to get restored to the king's service. Don't worry about it. And the only thing was, as Joseph said, when you go back into the king's service, don't forget me. Remember who I am and remember what I can do. Don't forget me to the king. So the butler goes back, and guess what happens? Two full years pass. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's like, dude, I helped you out. <laughs> and you forgot me, and I asked you not to forget me. This stuff happens in our life. See, people do that to us, and we get mad, and we get angry, and we get upset. But we don't see that happening here with Joseph. He was patient. Because he was trusting in the Lord. He knew God had it under, under control. I mean, from him being there to what was going on, he was trusting that these things are happening in my life, but God is in control. God knows what's happening. I can trust him through all of these circumstances. So Joseph had a persistent and patient faith. Um, his faith was not destroyed by his circumstances. Uh, as a reminder, James 5.10 says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Suffering is going to be part of our life as a believer. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's part of how it works. See, we struggle with what God says. Because we think, hey, I'm a Christian. I trust in you. I'm trusting you as Savior. I'm walking in these ways and I'm, I'm giving up these things. My life's supposed to be simple. My life's supposed to be easy. I'm not supposed to have problems. And God goes, that's not Christian life. That's a fantasy. <laughs> and that's the thing here. Joseph wasn't living in a fantasy land. He knew what was going on. And his reputation showed it. His character showed it. And the fact that he could walk in patience proved it. What role are circumstances playing in your life? Because basically circumstances are just circumstances. And sometimes we, we give them more power, we give them more place in our life than we should, and we're at risk if we do that. 
All right. No, I'm not doing too bad. Now, some in-between stuff. We're going to fast forward. Pharaoh has a dream. Finally. <laughs> Finally, something's going on that's going to help out Joseph. Pharaoh has a dream, and no one can interpret it. The butler finally remembers Joseph, and he's brought before Pharaoh to interpret the dream. So we've got two full years have gone by, and there's actually more because we don't know kind of how long he was in there, and the, old, the dreams of the butler and the baker and the candlestick maker, we forget. And so now this finally comes to pass. And so the butler goes, oh yeah, I forgot, but I can remember now. So Joseph's deference comes into view, 41.15. It says, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have a dream. Nope, I have a dream. There is no one who can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And see, again, Joseph could have been a rock star here. He could have said, yeah, you know, yeah, I did the butler, I did the baker, you know, and now I can do it for you, and yeah, look what I can do. No, he didn't do that. Because his life was about magnifying God. And so he says, no, no, God's going to use me, but it's God that's doing this. It's God that's enabling this. Don't miss out who God is and what he's doing. And I think this goes back to who Joseph has been right along. He's not going to let even something small like this trip him up. He makes sure that God is magnified. Now, eh, debated back and forth. We'll read through the dream because otherwise it, some of the other stuff won't make sense. So Pharaoh's dream. You can follow along if you want. It's uh, 41, chapter 41 starting in verse 17. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor, very ugly, and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. He's a very descriptive guy, isn't he? And the gaunt and ugly cows came up and ate the first seven, the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. Also, I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads, seven heads of wheat, came up on one stalk, full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And then the thin heads devoured the seven good heads of wheat. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. So God's interpretation through Joseph. Go down to verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Uh, the seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. Uh, the dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout the land of Egypt, but after them seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated by Pharaoh twice, because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. And as we read on elsewhere, too, I mean, this famine was not just there, it was widespread. 
And it was going to happen. And so God didn't want Pharaoh to miss it. So he's like, you know, you're not a follower of me, so I'm going to tell you this twice so you'll catch it and not miss it. And then I'm going to bring Joseph along to help you really understand it so then that way you will be ready and prepared for it. Because God was with Joseph. And God wanted to do some incredible things through him. And God wanted to be shown strong in the lives of the people. And so that's what's going on here. So Pharaoh knew Joseph had a relationship with God. Why? Because he made it a point to tell him. Don't miss that. He made it a point to tell him. My, my kids, when they were on sports teams or got involved with extracurricular stuff, one of the first things I always challenged them to do is, I said, start out being an out loud Christian from the gate. Because if you go in and just try to make friends and then say, oh, hey, by the way, I'm a Christian and try to witness, it just feels awkward. It just becomes harder. If you're a Christ follower, we need to be that all the time. That needs to be something that's known about us, that's obvious about us. And I'm not saying we need to get crazy about it. But it's a whole lot easier to, to go into a situation and if it comes up that, hey, you know, yeah, I'm a believer, or if you just live out loud and talk about praying about things or talking to God about things, people will ask. And you'll have an opportunity to say, oh, yeah, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, whatever you want to label yourself with. But start there, because it becomes so hard to bring it up later. So hard. So... A couple things just to keep in mind here with respect to Joseph's deference. We must actively live out loud for the Lord and fill in the blanks with words when people don't understand. You're like, what? Francis of Assisi made it smaller. He said, preach Jesus, and if necessary, use words. And then I'm just going to say, magnify God as much as possible with your life. Magnify him as much as possible. And again... When you start to walk with him, when you start to see his hand show up, I mean, think about it. Joseph must have been like, look at all that God is doing. And people are like, you're in prison. What's the big deal? But God's, look what God is doing. He was magnifying, magnifying, magnifying the, God, the Lord God all the time. We see it because people knew it. It was obvious. It wasn't a secret that God was with Joseph and that Joseph walked with God. It wasn't a secret at all. So then we look at Joseph's counsel. There's a big piece to this. Uh, but we're going to look at a small piece of it. And then we'll, we'll take a big jump. But Joseph's counsel. Uh, if you skip down to chapter 41, verse 33. It says, now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning. And this is Joseph talking here. Let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man. And set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. Now again, Joseph, he's saying, you know, this is what you should do. This is the wise thing to do. This is what God's saying you should do. Don't miss it. Skip down to verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And look what God did for him. He didn't expect it either. 
He said, this is what you should do. This is going to be the wise thing to do. This is what, what can happen. And because of what had proceeded in his life, Pharaoh was like, it's you. I, I couldn't choose anybody else but you. You're that man. He proved it. And you have to believe at some point he believed Joseph over his wife to give him this kind of authority again. You have to believe it. It doesn't say it anywhere. I'm coming to a supposition. But for, to me, I think for him to say, you know, okay, Joseph, this is what I'm going to do for you, eh, something else must have happened. And Joseph was steadfast. All right. Now we're going to run through some stuff. <laughs> Chapters 42 to 50. <laughs> Here's some highlights. I'm just going to give you highlights because it, it's really, it falls under this whole idea of Joseph's counsel. Um, because it's, it's how he interacts with his family when they show up because of this um, famine. It also talks about how he, he deals with the famine. And again, I'm just giving you highlights because we're really trying to focus on Joseph and not some of the other elements of the story unless they're really significant. Not that they're not significant, but you know what I mean. You guys are smart. All right, Jacob sends 10. All right, Jacob is Joseph's father, right? So sends 10 of his 11 sons keeping Benjamin with him to Egypt for food, and the ten are seen by Joseph and don't even recognize him. That's how different Joseph had become. Uh, Joseph asks for them to return to Canaan with some food, but they need to come back to Egypt with Benjamin to prove that they are being truthful. And basically, Benjamin was his only true brother. The other ones were like half-brothers. And so he just wanted to see him. Is really what was going on there. So the brothers go home, and Jacob refuses to let Benjamin go until the food runs out, and they must return for more food. Um, Joseph is overwhelmed at the presence of Benjamin, orchestrates the circumstances to keep him in Egypt, but then Judah pleads to take Benjamin's place, which is significant because Judah was the one who wanted to really kill him before. And now he's saying, no, my father will be crushed if his other son doesn't come back. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and uh, things are interesting there. Jacob returns, or I'm sorry, Jacob journeys to Israel. Uh, no, try it again. Got Walt on my mind. You went to Israel, not Jacob right now. Jacob journeys to Egypt, there we go, to be reunited with Joseph and meet his family. Jacob and his family settle in Goshen. Joseph deals with the famine. Joseph makes a vow to Jacob. Jacob blesses Joseph's sons. Jacob leaves a message with each son, and then Jacob dies and is buried. So a few things to pick up there. Joseph was viewed as discerning and wise in all of this. Joseph is established as a leader in Egypt. Joseph is empowered through Pharaoh, but more importantly, by God. And then Joseph managed professional power, the reuniting of his family, and a famine. I don't think any of us have been asked to do all that. <laughs> God just wants us to live out loud. And to have a reputation that is such that he is magnified and glorified and obvious in our life. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to counsel and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. And you have to believe that Joseph was always walking in the counsel of the Lord. Because God was with him. And he was living it out. He wasn't weighing it out. He wasn't picking and choosing, he was living, even when it was hard, even when it was difficult, even when he was in prison, he knew God was in control and he needed to follow those principles of Christian living. 
Now, quick recap, and we'll cover our last point, and then we should be done. Oh, boy, under the wire. All right, so we've looked at Joseph's reputation. Uh, Joseph's life reflected God's presence and evidenced that he was his child. We looked at Joseph's character. Despite repeated temptation and false accusations, Joseph remained God's man. We looked at Joseph's patience. Joseph had a persistent and patient faith. His faith was not destroyed by his circumstances. We looked at Joseph's deference. Uh, Joseph's life and words pointed people to God. We looked at Joseph's counsel. Joseph accepted God's principled living and rejected the world's secular options. And now we're going to look lastly at Joseph's surprise, which I am labeling as grace. Because the surprise thing that shows up here is grace. Think about it. Think about going through all that you went through at the hands of your siblings. And yet, we see Joseph shine here. We see him act in unbelievable ways here. All right, skip down to Genesis 50, which is the last chapter of the book. And then go down to verse 15. We're going to start there. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, because that's kind of where we just left off, Jacob had died, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face and they said, behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I mean, he had an opportunity to really bang, lay the hammer down here and go, ha ha, I'm the most powerful person here and I can really mess your life up. But that wasn't his, his option. Don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. The surprise here is grace. That's how we are going to win the world, is through grace. Vengeance is easy. Retribution is simple. But grace is profound. Because people don't expect it. They don't, they don't think it's going to happen. Joseph kept God in his rightful place. Joseph spoke the truth about his brother's intentions toward him. He said, I know what you meant. I know you meant evil. But God used it for something else. Joseph understood, understood God's sovereignty in his use of the circumstances in his life to accomplish his will. Joseph not only forgave his family, he provided for them and their families. He comforted them. And was kind toward them. Joseph surprised everyone. And surprises us, I think, too, who read his account of his life because he responds biblically and not emotionally out of vengeance or retaliation. Joseph responds with grace. Romans 12, 19 challenges us this way. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. 
And you have to believe that God was walking with him, right? God was with Joseph, and Joseph was going, God's going to take care of this. God's got it under control. I need to live right. I need to do what God has called me to do. That's God's job, not mine. Let's not miss it. Joseph's reputation reflected God's presence and evidence that he was his child. And that should do the same for us. Joseph's character, despite repeated temptation and false accusations, Joseph remained God's man or woman. <laughs> Joseph was persistent and patient. His faith was not destroyed by his circumstances. I think patience is one of those challenging aspects in our life, isn't it? The microwave proves it. Because <laughs> even it's not fast enough. But I think Joseph's deference is key because his life and his words pointed people to God and we have got to follow in that path. How will they know without a preacher? And that means not just someone like Walt or myself, but we all have to be preachers of who God is and what he does. Joseph's counsel accepted God's principled living and rejected the world's secular option. And we have to realize that as Christ followers, there is no secular option for us. We need to be Christ followers all the time. We need to be the same person in this building, outside of this building, in our neighborhoods, at the workplace, wherever we are. And hopefully we're doing what Joseph gives us a phenomenal example to do. The chapter closes with these words, Genesis 50, 26. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Almost 100 years of life after this craziness happened to him. Just seven years shy, right? And look at the heritage he provided. Look at what he, he did to change a people, to sustain God's people. God used him. And he wants to use you. He wants to use me. But the thing that we have to come to grips with, is he wants to do it his way, not our way. And that's where we struggle sometimes. So I ask you today, what will be the words recorded about you when it comes to reputation, character, patience, deference, counsel, and grace? Will you surprise those around you with grace? It's our calling. And I think we have an excellent example of how even in overwhelming circumstances, whoops, we can overcome. But it's got to be because we believe God is with us, that we're allowing him to walk with us, and we're taking him with us everywhere we go. Pray with me. Father, we come to you this morning, and Lord, we just raced through an unbelievable amount 
of information. But Lord, yes, Joseph was the point of the story, but really it's you. How you can change a life, how you can make it different, how you can use circumstances, and you can bring joy even in bad circumstances, and you can do so much with one life. Lord, it starts with salvation, and that's where the first part of yielding comes, where we yield to your way and not our own to live this life. And we trust you to come in and to be our Savior and become a Christ follower. But Father, after we become followers of you, it's got to continue on. It's, that's a starting point, not an ending point, salvation. And Lord, it's a lifelong, as we see here with Joseph, it is a lifelong pursuit. It just isn't once and done. It's a relationship. And that, that's, that's the challenge there. Religion is, can be a one thing and it's done and you kind of move on. But Lord, a relationship is something that starts and it grows and then it becomes better and better and better. Or it should. Because that's what you're calling us to. A relationship with you that will change our lives, that will change our past, our present, and our future in profound ways. Lord, may we walk out of this place today changed because of your word and because of you working and walking in our lives. That's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Have a great week.